Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga Podcast. This is the main show. You heard that right? The main show. It is back. We're back on our normal schedule. I'm Manu Feit. He's Stefan Bienkowski. This is not our first free show of the summer, right, Stefan? Because we did one last week, but it is our first main show. We're getting there. Uh, we're about five days away from the season to kick off. Um, it's exciting. Feels good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, perhaps unlike other major leagues, um, German football kicked off with a Super Cup this we uh, this weekend. I guess a bit like some leagues, obviously, they have their Super Cups before the leagues kick off. But we also had quite a long list of fixtures in the German Cup as well. So it's the start of the Bundesliga, but I think people have already had a nice taster of um, what's to come. And yeah, today just feels like the perfect opportunity to do a preview or a preview of sorts um, of the Bundesliga. Um, we're going to do the top half of the table today. Uh, the second half will be coming out on Thursday. Um, and we'll make that episode free for all subscribers. Um, and I know free for all listeners, are not all subscribers. Uh, and yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait for the league to kick off. Yeah, I'm really excited, especially because we got such a nice appetizer, I guess, is, the good, is a good word to describe it, on Saturday. Um, where the absolute opposite of what everyone in a red shirt was hoping for, Stefan, happened. <laughs> they really they really spoiled the party for poor Harry Kane. We'll, we'll have to wait until at least next year to finally win his first club title. Um, <laughs> not what was in store at all, or what was hoped for by, by all the Bayern supporters. And I think we have to talk about this game in particular, and we'll kick off a lot of our conversations with this game. But as you mentioned, like this preview, uh, what we're essentially going to do uh, is title challenges, right? European challenges, and um, then we're next week, we're gonna uh, later this week, we're going to do all the relegation candidates. So if you're wondering what the structure is, so it's going to be quite a long show with a lot of details. So I guess we should jump in as quickly as possible. Um, maybe just do a quick break for our advertisers who make this show possible. So we'll be right back. This episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wages, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games, available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. So yeah, Stefan, uh, the Super Cup, um, as I alluded to, Harry Kane will have to wait a little longer for his first title. Um, there's a lot to take away from this game. And I think 
I had two main takeaways. And the one takeaway is that Harry Kane will not fix all of Bayern Munich's problems. Um, far from it. Uh, I think he's a wonderful addition, and I think we can talk about that a bit. And we actually did talk about it in the bonus show last week, right? Um, I think that he, he is a player that will make this team better, but I don't think he's going to address many of the needs that Bayern Munich um, have still going into the season. and probably going to take them some time to fix. Um, yeah, we went to the, the press conference where they introduced Harry Kane officially on... Um, I think it was on Sunday. These days are all blurred to one. And they, he, Jan Christian Dresen, the CEO of Bayern, basically admitted that um, they were close to signing Kepa and then uh, Courtois towards ACL and Real Madrid came in and Kepa is Spanish. So, of course, you know, that option was gone. And um, then the second option was Ruli from Ajax Amsterdam. He hurt his shoulder. He's out for many months. So that option is gone now too. So no goalkeeper. Um, still no number six. Um, potentially need a right back too. Uh, it's it just feels like there is this team doesn't have the cohesiveness and the structure it needs. And my second takeaway is that despite all the key players that Leipzig lost, they actually look better than last year, which is remarkable. So those were my two big main takeaways, and I think. For certain, we've seen two of the potential. I mean, Bayern is always a, a title favorite, but I'm pretty sure Leipzig is one too. What do you think? Yeah, it was a really interesting game. Uh, I had some friends over on Saturday, actually, and we watched it over a couple of beers. And, you know, they're used to kind of watching the Premier League, some Scottish football. And when I kind of, when they were asking about it, because I said, hey, we should take this game on, I want to watch it. Like, of course, um, you know, I kind of said it should be a fun open match because the you know these Super Cup games usually are, and I mean that's exactly what it was. I don't think anyone was really expecting Leipzig to kind of really go um, so well as they did, if, if, for lack of a better expression. Um, and I just thought they were really impressive, not only in the way they kind of scored goals and created chances, but also in the way they kind of were very you know, regimented in the way they kind of sat quite deep and were really happy to hit on the break. Um, you know, Danny almost a perfect example of that, but just about every player in that team kind of knew what they were doing, how to play their role, how to play off one another. I mean, the fact that Openda and Werner have only had like a handful of games together and, you know, Werner knows where to run. Openda is kind of getting the hang of it. Uh, Danny almost looked like a man reborn because he suddenly had the freedom of the you know, the final third to play in where Nkunku and maybe Sobislai kind of took those roles off him or that space off him last year and boy did he kind of make up for it or compensate for them rather um, and I just kind of felt like Bayern were the opposite to be perfectly honest with you I think um, I mean, you know, I, I wrote my newsletter on this last week and I did kind of feel a little smug as I was watching the game thinking well at least it's not entirely out of date following the signing of Hurricane because I think a lot of the points I made in it were still pertinent and you know my concern for Bayern is that you know there's there's defensive issues there, there's goalkeeping issues there which you know before the end of the summer, before the end of the month may or will be sorted you know they could they might sign a new right back they might sign a better goalkeeper obviously um Going forward, Kim's probably going to take Open Meccano's role, who I thought had another really, really poor game. Um, I mean, just the way that Open Meccano was playing just 
continues to baffle me. Um, I was I was watching the game with my friend. He's actually a Rangers fan, but we were talking about how he how he reminded me of a player that at Celtic, F. A. Ambrose, who. I only bring this up because I remember a Celtic manager said he's the best defender on the pitch for 89 minutes of a game. and then Oh, that's brutal. For it, <laughs> and it, that's and, a brutal statement. And then he says, <laughs> yeah, for from time to time, there's like one minute of madness, which just completely kind of ruins it. And, and that reminds me of Upa McCann a lot, actually, in the sense that, you know, on paper, he's tremendous, but he just has these moments where he just kind of completely lets himself down. Um, and yeah, I thought Kim, even despite a lack of game time, when he came on, I think he made a huge difference. So I can see, that, I, can, I can understand why him and Delict would be perfectly fine partnership going forward. But, you know, we're still not sure what's going to happen at right back. I thought Majoré looked better when he came on than Pavard. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah. but, but then that kind of bleeds into the issues up front as well. And I, I do kind of worry for Barney in an attacking sense as well, because... Yeah, they've got Kane, and you know Kane's going to kind of fix a lot of their issues, and maybe he'll provide a focal point that the rest of the team can play off. Because, you know, you can talk about Matthias Tell missing chances, and I think that's an important thing to note because, you know, when you're a Bayern striker, you have to take your chances. But the thing that concerned me more was just the manner in which you had Gnabry, Musiala, and Sani all just kind of running into each other, struggling to make it, take advantage of space. Um, Gnabry again. You know, plays well for ten or fifteen minutes a game and just goes completely quiet for the rest of it. I'm not quite sure why. Um, doesn't really have a great understanding of Davies. I feel at times where I don't know. It just doesn't feel like they're making the most of the talent that they all clearly have. And maybe having Harry Kane there as the focal point, like Lewandowski was, allows these players to kind of um, you know fit back into more traditional roles um, going forward. I guess, but. I was really let. I was really disappointed in Musiala in particular because you know we're expecting big things from him this season. Carried that team in his shoulders for much of last season, um, and you know he's finally had a rest. He's had a preseason. Uh, you think he'd be raring to go, um, but it was Danny Omo who stole the show in that game, wasn't it? And I don't know. I I think I think. Um, I mean, I was looking at the in our forum and you know someone had made a a thread for this game and the Bayern fans in it were apoplectic to be honest with you for lack of a better word people calling for Tuchel's head concerns that nothing's changed since last season and if you put aside the players who've arrived which I think are all good signings so far I can completely understand their concerns because that team played uh, against Leipzig on Saturday the way it played for much of the second half of last season which wasn't good enough yeah. Um, first of all, I want to apologize because I did see the thread, but I didn't really contribute because it was a lot going on um, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. I mean, I was up until 2 a.m. or 3.30 a.m. waiting for uh, the Kane confirmation, right, uh, that he's finally signed his contract. And the madness pretty much continued straight through Saturday, Sunday. Um, so sorry for not contributing as much, but I did see some of the comments. And of course, I was there to hear Thomas Tuchel speak after the game about um, that he doesn't really know, understand what was going on, um, which in the in the press here in Munich did not go over well, Stefan, um, at all, because it's his job to know what's going on, right? It's his job to understand whether he, what, what the issues are. And um, the fact that he made this comment really didn't sit well. The other comment that didn't really sit well is that he apologized to Harry Kane because he said, like, well, it, it looks like the team hasn't been training for, for four weeks. Well, Thomas, that's your job. <laughs> and the team hasn't 
the team did look like a team that didn't train over the last four weeks. Uh, in, in fairness, I mean, he's right about that. But, I mean, again, it's his job to make sure that it isn't like that, right? Um, and while it is nice of him to be so truthful, um, it wasn't maybe that the statements, you know how the Munich press is, Stefan, it did not come across very well. And, you know, the thing is, what, what kind of, I, I, I have lots of thoughts about this game um, when it comes to Bayern. And, you know, they include things like Harry Kane gets dropped into this attacking lineup and there's all these very talented forwards that can hold the ball really well in the attack and they drop him in and it's his, it's almost like an alien. It's almost like for the last 12 months, the Nagelsmann and Tuchel tried to teach this team to play without a number nine and then they're dropping back a number nine and it's they had a ton of chances without Kane and then Kane comes on. This is not Kane's fault. I don't want to misinterpret that be misinterpreted that this is Kane's fault, right? But he gets dropped in and everyone is like, oh, uh, so what do we do now? <laughs> so it, it kind of felt like that. Like people all of a sudden were playing crosses rather than doing run-ins, whereas before they did run-ins, right? Like it just seemed so, the chemistry is just not there. And I, you know what? This is going to take some time. It's going to take some time for this team to learn to play with a proper number nine, especially a number nine like him, right? Because he's a different player than Lewandowski in many ways. He's a, he's a world-class player, but he's not Lewandowski. Um, I think that needs to be clarified as well. He's, he brings a lot more heft to the game. He's a lot more forceful. He's a lot more used to this. Uh, he's not used to do more when you look at the, his heat map because of his time at Tottenham. So I think both sides will have to have some adjustments here. So he's being treated like this messiah that he cannot be, and that's not his fault. But, you know, I just want to really underline this. Um, and I think that is that is something that... That's also some of the takeaways. But I always want to talk about Leipzig a bit more here, Stefan, because there's a, a lot of really positive takeaways here and uh, good reasons for why I think that they are... The, the team that could seriously challenge for the title. And one of the three, as we have established before the show, right? Um, and it's the fact that they have this... Simmons looks like a player that Bayern desperately needs. He looks like a player that can connect defense with midfield. He is able to transition the ball through from from the back of the field to the offense so quickly, which served them so well when they had to sit deep against Bayern, right? It felt like, although Bayern had a ton of chances, it felt like that, that Leipzig was actually the more dangerous team because whenever they did get the ball, whenever they transitioned the ball forward, all of it, it felt like every time it could be a goal, right? Um, and I think that they were quite clever putting together this team, but I think they have all the weapons too to also play, go to... Um, let's say Mainz, right, and dominate that team as well. I think they have all the elements of doing that as well. It's just felt like, while Tuchel said that his team looked like a team that hadn't been doing anything for four weeks, Marco Rose's team looked like a team. This look, it looked like they had the pieces. They identified the pieces that they needed. Max Eber went out and got them. They and I mean they added a, another centre back as well, Lukeba, right, who was extremely talented. They feel like a team, and I feel like they're going to hit the ground running, which is so different from this Bayern team. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of had some thoughts about it after the game, and I was, I was kind of thinking to myself about how quickly, you know, this team has begun to look like a team. And I thought, well, I guess it makes sense because it's kind of what Marco Rosa had to do last season. You know, he 
was parachuted into this club when you know things were all over the place and he did quickly turn things around and he got them playing like a team very quickly um and i guess that's one of his main skills as a head coach um yeah and i mean you're absolutely right i mean i thought defensively they were perfectly sound you know considering the fact that they've lost guardiol but the fact is simican can slot straight in there alongside orban and do a really decent job uh, i was really impressed with henrik's um as well at right back he did a great job and and yeah you're absolutely right i mean i know a lot of people i saw a lot of people kind of smirking at timo werner and the way he was missing chances or whatever else but just the just the workload that he offers and just the kind of outball that he offers i think i saw uh during the kind of broadcast you know the percentage of where leipzig were kind of moving the ball and it was dominant down that left hand side throughout the match really which I guess it makes sense because Simmons is going to drop inside. Danny almost going to float around the middle of the park. So Timo Werner, to an extent, was their kind of outball almost, and like the team kind of played off him. Um, and then to have someone like Sesco come on, who I thought looked like a young player full of confidence when, you know, he did he when he eventually came on for Timo Werner later on in the game. And so yeah, you're absolutely right. They do have um, an abundance of talent. Um, to rival last season's squad, maybe surpass it. Uh, and maybe they also have a head coach who has the kind of experience and capacity to kind of stitch that team together and make them play very well. And, you know, I, I kind of said this at full time that even though the Super Cup doesn't really mean anything in terms of, you know, you know, it's not a trophy, it's not really a, it's not a cup final of sorts, but it's a game in which Bayern wanted to win. And it's a game in which the fans all arrived, the the sheer mayhem around Kane joining the club and, you know, as you kind of reported, just the amount of like the mayhem of people running around with Harry Kane shirts on and things like that. It's the fact insane. that Leipzig yeah. <laughs> Absolutely insane. <laughs> the, the, the the fact that Leipzig showed up and said, No, we're gonna spoil this party, um, is great experience for them. It gives them a it gives them an abundance of kind of confidence to say, right, well, in the Bundesliga, we can do exactly the same thing because it's not as if Bayern weren't trying to win that game. It wasn't as if they didn't take it seriously. It was a serious game in that regards, and Leipzig got the better of them. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I I was really impressed with Leipzig, um, and you know, going into the new season and to kind of maybe transition away from this game and maybe to the Bundesliga itself. Um, I think it's really interesting if you look at Bayern's kind of opening fixtures. They've got two, I'll say, relatively easy games uh, to kick things off. They got Werder Bremen away, and then they play Augsburg at home, who've just been knocked out of the Pokal. So you know they're also Bremen too. Yeah, sorry, of course. So you know, two teams Both there. Both of them. Yeah. Yeah, two teams who probably won't put up much of a fight, but then they play Gladbach, who you know Bayern obviously had history there with. They play Leverkusen, who I'm sure we'll talk about in a, in a couple of minutes. Um, Bochum, okay, fair enough. It's a game they should be winning. And then they play a Pokal midweek game before travelling to Leipzig. So, you know, in the first kind of six league games, they've got three really big hurdles. And if I had any concern over Bayern winning the league this season, sorry, I've, I've also just realised they play Freiburg right after Leipzig. So you could argue four of their first, what, seven games are matches which they could easily drop points in. So, if I had any concerns over this Bayern team going into this season, you know, it wouldn't be on paper, it wouldn't be the talent they have, it would be the fact that Tuchel just doesn't really, he still hasn't figured out what to do with this team. And because he's Thomas Tuchel and so he does things, he, it's almost like he tries to work these things out in public, in front of the media, 
he riles players up, he riles up the media, he riles fans up, and you know if 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 Bayern haven't yet figured out what to do, if Tuchel still can't get the best out of the squad, there's nothing to really suggest that they're going to be much better than next last season. Aside from the fact that they'll have Harry Kane scoring goals, you know Kim probably offers more than Upa Meccano, but I don't know. I, I I still kind of feel like there's a lot of issues brewing under the surface here with Bayern and that performance against Leipzig doesn't give me a huge amount of confidence going into the new season One final thought on Bayern um, just to underline what you said there before we rope in title candidate number three um, Joshua Kimmich after the game made some very dismissive comments to the waiting journalists um, He came into the room and he, when we asked him to, to speak to us, he said, I've already told lots of stories to the uh, the journalists over there, right? Like, so pointing uh, to the field where he spoke to the rights holders, he has to speak to them. Um, and then he's like, oh, and I, I actually said, well, you haven't told us anything yet. So he's like, I have told you guys lots of stories the last few weeks as well and just kept walking um, in obviously foul mood. And I spoke to some colleagues that covered the team full-time. And uh, they have been mentioning that Kimmich has been in a very exclusive, explosive mood over the several weeks now. Um, mostly to do with the fact that Thomas Tuchel has gone out in public and said that he's not a number six, right? And that is doesn't bode well when one of your players that is supposed to be one of those new leaders in the dressing room is kind of being pushed aside a little bit, right? By the head coach. Um, and as well, of course, by this new player arriving, Harry Kane. Harry Kane is not at Bayern for to not be a leader. He's the, he, he's the captain of the English national team, Stefan. Like, what is, it, what, is it, what, is, what is going to happen when you drop this personality into the room? Um I have no pro I don't think Harry Kane will have any issues, but there will be some players that will probably drop down to the hierarchy now, right? I mean, just look at Thomas Müller, um, how he has embraced Kane already. Um, you know, there there was photos shown today where the two of them played keepy uppies together, and they already have arranged a golf session together. I mean, if you Kimmich, you look at this and you're like, well, I guess that's me down the hierarchy further, right? And that is that's that shows to me that you know that there's a lot of stuff going on behind closed doors that is going to be great for you and me because we can cover it it's not going to be great for results mm. yeah absolutely and this is kind of what i'm talking about in the sense that you know and, and these were concerns uh that were kind of broached at the time when thomas tuchel was appointed as the julian nagelson's replacement in the sense that you know if you were trying to bring in a head coach um, to kind of steady the ship after you know Julian Nagelsmann's perceived inability to you know win the whole squad round, um, shall we say, um, is Thomas Tuchel the guy to do that? You know because you know he's got an experience at Dortmund, he's got experience at PSG, he's got experience at or not experience, he's got stories at Chelsea. Um, yes, he brings success, but that success also comes with consequences, and the consequences is that. You know he's very outspoken. He ex he doesn't hide his frustration at all uh, on the sidelines or in front of the cameras. Um, and I mean if 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 you're a if you're a club like Dortmund maybe who 
are, were desperate for success, you can put up with that for a while. If you're called like Chelsea, who are in a complete mess after sacking Frank Lampard, then yeah, you bring in Tuchel because he's a Champions League winner and you just do what he says. But Bayern Munich just really aren't used to having head coaches who publicly berate players week in, week out. Um, it's meant to be a happy family. It's all meant to be behind closed doors. It's all meant to be very gentlemanly. And... Yeah, I don't know. I I, I I can understand why some people um, are concerned about this and it, and it does kind of feel like a ticking time bomb of sorts. Of course, Bayern could go out and win against Bremen and Augsburg like 4 or 5 nil each and, you know, by then and then beat uh, Gladbach and everyone forgets about these kind of things very quickly. But this has been a very frustrating summer for Bayern and, and yeah, we'll just I guess the proof will be in the, pr- the pudding because we'll see how they play in the Bundesliga. I won't put too much weight into those first two results, to be honest with you. Um, but I do think my what's always been the best coaches at Bayern Munich were not the ones that imposed themselves onto the squad, but that were almost just working in the background. This has been always a club where the players did a lot of the structure, putting the structure themselves in, right? And the best coaches um, didn't manage the squad but kind of navigated it. And I think Thomas Tuchel is not the person to be able to do that. Um, so there's an early prediction for me right there. I think this is a time bomb that will go off at some point. But we do need to talk about Dortmund. Um, Dortmund also featured um, on the weekend. And I think we're going to have three title candidates this season. And I, I'm Dortmund, I was with them in, in San Diego and in Vegas, covered them quite closely, especially this, the San Diego part is where they actually had the training camp, right? Ahead of the season um, was quite telling. And Stefan, I've talked, I've been asked by a few people, including by people from the DFL, how that training camp went on. And, um, you know, one of the big takeaways I have from my time being with Borussia Dortmund and speaking to quite a few of those players. And I mean, they covered it to a great extent, both here at the gegenpressing, but also Transfermarkt, right, where I put some profiles on these players up. Um, I thought what really stood out to me, and Edith Terzic again actually said it today again, that um, they have a goal. They want to win the championship. And do you remember the last time Dortmund went into a season where they said, yeah, this time we want to make the final step and win the title? I don't think I ever remember that. Mm. Yeah, and you know we have talked about. I think we talked about this when you did that. We did a deep dive into Dortmund, and potentially how we're seeing the kind of culture of the club change under Sebastian Kehl, and uh, you know, obviously the head coach as well, who's as you mentioned just there is extremely driven, and it is a kind of change. And I was, and I think I kind of referenced how it's almost like a generational change in a sense that you know the previous generations of Vatska and Michael Zork and whoever else were there at the darkest days when, you know, the club were on the brink of bankruptcy and everything they, they had they had done and continue to do today, Vatska will still quite happily reference those dark days whenever he's referring to financial figures at the club and how much they spend and how much they have for wages, etc. He'll always say, look, we have a responsibility to be financially fiscal because of what happened in the past. And how it's really interesting. I mean, I'm not going to regurgitate that entire episode, but we basically said it's interesting how that's something that hangs over him, where someone like Sebastian Kell, who, you know, was a player and obviously would remember those times, but it's not something that's attached to him. So he can come in as this new sporting director or director of sport, whatever he is, and look at it with a fresh set of eyes and say, no, you know what, we're Dortmund, we really should be trying to challenge for the title here. And if that means we have to go and sign some players, then we will. 
And I think the best way of kind of talking about Dortmund, the head of this league, is just to draw the comparison to the conversation we just had about Bayern Munich there. You know, Bayern's summer has been one of frustration, has been one of public spats. Um, you know, we didn't even talk about Benjamin Pavard, who is very publicly and very openly apparently talking about wanting to leave the club, but is their only first-choice right-back one. But anyway, we will not talk about Bayern anymore. Um <laughs> not this episode anyways <laughs> no yeah you look you look at that Dortmund team and you know I think one of the really maybe underrated things that Terzic managed, has managed to do in this squad is the way he's managed to convince a lot of the older players to kind of step aside or gracefully kind of diminish uh, you know you look at Marco Royce giving up his captaincy this summer uh, that was done very professionally and it was all done very tastefully um, I mean, you compare that to the the fiasco the club are doing at Bayern are doing with Manuel Neuer right now because they don't know how to deal with his next succession. Um, Mats Hummels is another one who perhaps did it about you know a little earlier than that, and it feels like things are kind of coming together for Dortmund. You know, I watched their game, uh, their Pokal match um, against Schott Mainz, and look, it was a very easy tie for them. They're obviously playing a you know a minnow. Um, and it and it in a way it kind of looked like a kind of preseason friendly without being too disrespectful to their opponents, but you know, I just found it really interesting the manner in which you had someone like Rearson firing up the wing, um, in a sense that he's looked like he's been at the club for years. Ben Zabiyini played very well on the left. Sabitzer slotting straight into that central midfield role where Jude Bellingham played and doing a great job of it, and then even like Daniel Malin and Sebastian Haller just playing really fantastically well and. I don't know, it just feels to me like Dortmund have really benefited from having a nice, quiet, you know, efficient summer where, you know, they knew they were going to lose Jude Bellingham. They've managed to get some re- some really impressive signings in and there's not really a huge amount of drama or issues around the club at all. And sure, there'll be a lot hang up as to how the leaks, how the season finished last year. I know you spoke to a few Dortmund players this summer about it, so you know it's not something they are ignoring by any means. But no, no, quite the contrary. They're actually addressing it full on, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the only thing that concerns me a little bit is still that back line. I mean, the 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 shot mind goal came about from a cross which Hummels mishits. Hummels in uh, fails to clear. It clips his foot, which then rebounds off of Ben Zibaini's face and then goes and then, you know, a nearby opponent knocks it in. And it's the kind of calamitous defending that Dortmund have become famous for in recent years. So there's still that kind of chink in the armour. There's still that kind of weak underbelly in defence, um, which is obviously probably why they're now looking to bring in an essential defender before uh, the window shuts. But I think all that considered, um, I think they're looking at a really decent place right now. Yeah, I actually think that them going away to the United States and being completely isolated in a place like San Diego, which is, by the way, beautiful. Um, they, they, their hotel that they were staying in was gorgeous too. I actually think did them quite a world of good, where they could just sit together and work through what happened on match day 34. And as I alluded to, they were quite open about it, right? They, When we asked questions, there was no like, oh, we don't want to talk about this anymore or any of that. You know, the usual stuff that players say, they're saying like, yeah, it hurt. And this is, and every single player told us exactly how they dealt with it. And every single player then said like, but the one thing that we want to do right away is to correct it. Um, they didn't perceive it as this once in a lifetime opportunity. 
And I think that's probably the best way to deal with it, um, to be honest, to learn from it. It kind of reminds me, it reminded me a little bit of how Bayern dealt when they lost the final da home, you know, the, the big final in the Champions League against Chelsea. Um, and they haven't really lost a game since it feels like it. <laughs> you know, they went on this burnout to win 11 Bundesliga titles in a row, and they have won the treble twice since. Um, an experience like that can do something with a club. And I, I wonder if this might have actually, you know, this sounds harsh, but this might have actually been a good thing for Borussia Dortmund in some ways to have this experience. And I, I listen, I think that Sebastian Kiel uh, did some very good things this summer. I think Marcel Sabitzer is exactly the player that they needed um, to fill that role. I think Felix Mencher um, looks looks like a, a really good addition as well. Um, obviously, uh, the club had to deal with some off-field issues there, but it seems like they have gotten gotten that sorted, right? And yeah, I think and Sebastian Haller is a new addition for them as well, uh, pretty much. And he looked extremely fit in the training camp and I think in the match as well, like in the Pokal, right, Stefan? So yeah, I'm really excited to see them um, and see how they come into the season. And of course, they're starting their season against Cologne, right, on Saturday. And I think that's a fixture that they have to win right away. Yeah, I, I should say as well, like, again, you have to kind of take these with a pinch of salt because it's a lower league cup game. Um, but I thought Sebastian Haller looked really, really sharp. Um, you know, not just in terms of getting on the end of crosses or finishing chances, but just how nifty he was on the ball, how much he was able to shift his weight, how much he was able to kind of play other players in. Uh, Mukuku, again, also came on and he looked really sharp. Um it definitely wasn't the kind of quality that they'll be expected to play against. And you could tell because, you know, they were getting like two or three touches in the box, whereas, you know, a Bundesliga opponent would be in their face immediately. But I think it was really encouraging just to see that. And, you know, my newsletter this week will be on Dortmund and looking behind the numbers as to where they can actually challenge um, again, I guess is the word, um, and, and win the trophy, and the, the, the league title this year. But... The sheer fact that they have all these players fit and able to play, the fact that Haller looks top of his game, I think Daniel Malin as well in particular, just having him um, with some confidence is, could be a real game changer for Dortmund. Um, and again, I, I, you know, I haven't even mentioned him really, but I thought Sabitzer was great. He, he, he scored, he could have scored two or three. Um, he's already taken on that role of responsibility in the middle of the park, which, as we talked about when Jude Bellingham left in the kind of transfer shows over the summer, more than just about any technical ability, Dortmund needed someone who could step into Bellingham's leadership role in that team. And I think Savic is a great sign in that regard. I think he could go down as one of the most kind of underrated signings in all of European football this season. If you look at the amount of money that's been spent on central midfielders, particularly in the Premier League, and the fact that Dortmund picked him up for a bargain... Um, yeah, I think that could be end up being a really impressive signing. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of like challenging for the title, I, I've got no reason to see why Dortmund can't step up a gear and move on from last season. You know, I think, I think it's worth bearing in mind that they were so poor towards the start of last season that despite that really impressive second half of the season, I think they only finished maybe one or two points above the previous year's points total, if that makes sense. So from from one season to another, technically they didn't step up a bit. But you know, if you want to gauge it by January this year onwards, then they certainly showed that they could go toe to toe with Bayern week to week. And unless there's any huge debilitating injuries in that team, um, 
I think they I think they should be pretty well set to be honest with you. There's still maybe some concerns as to you know how Sabitzer and Emery Chan slot together in terms of you know against uh, you know a shot Mainz or a lower league team. It's fine to have just two central midfielders and allow someone like Marco Royce to play number ten. But in the Bundesliga, they'll probably need a third central midfielder in there most weeks and. How they make that work might be a concern because I think they maybe still need another central midfielder there. But yeah, we'll we'll see how they get on. But I'm 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 very encouraged by Dortmund's summer and the signings and the fact that a lot of players who hadn't been playing well suddenly are kind of clicking into gear now. Yeah, no, and that's our three title contenders, right? And I think from what we've seen, especially from. Um, from Bayern Munich this weekend, I think there is a challenge. There is a, there's a possibility that we actually see a race for the title by by three teams. Now, of course, there's the next group of of clubs, um, and that's your Union Berlin, Freiburg, Leverkusen, Eintracht Frankfurt, Wolfsburg, maybe Stuttgart, Stefan. Um, but when we looked at this group of clubs, and these are the teams that will maybe you know there's one essentially there's one free Champions League spot, right? And then there's the, the two Europa League spots and the, the Conference League spots. But when I look at these groups of teams, and I've seen especially what Leverkusen did, and they have the most exciting head coach prospect, is it too far to say that Leverkusen could maybe be put in that title challenger category? Or is it still too early to say that? I mean, I'm struggling a little bit. A little bit. Obviously, it'd be great if Leverkusen could join uh, Bayern, Dortmund, and Leipzig um, in that category because it means the league is wide open. But Leverkusen still feel like it. Of course, the history also suggests this, right? But it's always so damning whenever you suggest that Leverkusen could be a title challenger. But their summer was so good. Hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. I mean, at this rate, the only thing that could really derail Leverkusen's season is if Xabi Alonso ends up moving to Bayern Munich. Um, oh, yeah. Which, which probably looks just about as likely as any of their other star players moving on at this point. Um, but no, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, they, I, we did a kind of deep dive on Leverkusen as well. I'm only bringing up these episodes because I know a lot of people, this is the first time they've listened to us in a while, and if they want to go back and check, then please do. Um, and basically we mentioned the fact that not only are Leverkusen bringing in impressive players this summer but they're also bringing in experienced players you know Jonas Hoffman uh, knows exactly how to get stuff done in the Bundesliga he's an experienced international uh, he's one of the best wingers in the league in last season in my opinion uh, Granit Xhaka arrives with a huge amount of expectation and rep- and uh, confidence and responsibility uh, which I think Leverkusen has been missing in the centre park for a long time that kind of defensive number 6 role for Leverkusen um, has been an issue for quite some time. Maybe number six, maybe more of a number eight role, actually. Um, but And then obviously someone like Grimaldo as well, left-backs, another experienced player. So I like that they're kind of, this summer, instead of kind of just plucking in our three or four youngsters from South America and just kind of hoping it works, they're obviously trying to build something with purpose. And I don't think it's a coincidence that's because Xabi Alonso's at the helm that he probably wants to win something, that he wants to do something with Leverkusen, that he can stamp on his CV and take to the likes of Real Madrid or Liverpool or Bayern Munich one day. I don't think that's too disrespectful to Leverkusen to suggest. Um, And, you know, I I think if you compare it to the fact that so far they've only really lost one big star player in Moussa Diaby, who I think if you were to lose between him, Frimpong and 
you know, a Tapsoba or even a Florian Verts. I think Diaby's maybe the most replaceable one out of the four of them. Um, so yeah, I think on I think off the pitch they've 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 been they've done a really great job. We just kind of have to wait and see uh, what happens on it now. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, Sepp was here for the Super Cup. Sepp Stafferblom, a uh, good friend of the podcast, right? Writes for the Athletic on the Bundesliga. Um, I spent quite a bit of time with him um, this 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 last few days. Um, <laughs> obviously, uh, sorry, Sepp, for mentioning this, but I was right about Harry Kane last October. Um, should have shut him. Just, 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 just want to put it in one more time. But anyways, he mentioned to me, this is another number nine, Victor Boniface, um, because he did go to the training camp of Leverkusen and he told me that he was really impressed with Victor Boniface as a striker, Stefan. Um, they picked him up from um, Union. Oh my God. This is the club that I can't pronounce from Belgium anyways for 20.5 million euros. And... He looks like the real deal. He looks like a striker that, you know, if Patrick Schick doesn't get on, could really make a difference for Leverkusen um, this this upcoming season. And that's a big deal, isn't it? Like, having a number nine uh, seems to be like every Bundesliga club wants one, and they, they went out and got exactly the right one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's probably one of the few kind of players they brought in this summer who is kind of, who does kind of slot into that kind of young you know, potential star role, um, which is absolutely fine, of course, because if you kind of look at the, the attacking options that Leverkusen should have uh, to hand, it, it you're right, it, it's few and far between. Uh, Patrick Shake still has his injuries, and there's kind of no can, there's no kind of guarantee that should he or when he does return, he'll be the same player. Because you know, if you kind of look back over the course of his career, he's been very hot and cold from one season to the next. Uh, I actually wrote something, a newsletter on that last year, actually. Um, and then, you know, there's Asman, uh, Sadar Asman, who's actually injured at the moment. But after that, you're really struggling. You can play someone like an Adam Hosek in there, but I think he's maybe more of a number 10 or a second striker rather than a number nine. Um, and that's exactly why they need someone like Boniface uh, in there. Hopefully he can stay fair. Hopefully he can start and score goals for him. And maybe he kind of fixes that kind of remaining piece of the puzzle for Leverkusen um, and you know we're here once again Manu I feel like we do this every year where we look at this Leverkusen team and think wow they could actually do something um, I mean we haven't even mentioned the fact that Florian Wurtz is still at the club and for the first time in a long time is healthy uh, it's had a full pre-season um, and is probably raring to go um, and, you know, if you want to compare that to the way Jamal Musiala played on Saturday night, you wonder if this might be the season in which he kind of tussles with Musiala for the kind of role of Germany's most impressive young player. Um, so, yeah, they've got all the talent to comfortably, I think, challenge for the top four. Um, whether they can kind of make the step up and challenge for the league will be really interesting because that's kind of perhaps where Xabi Alonso will kind of earn... Um, you know his wages because not only does he come in as a tactician but he he brings that experience doesn't he he brings that assurance to say look guys here's how you challenge for the title because with all due respect to Leverkusen they don't really have that that culture out of the club of challenging for league titles there's not really a huge amount there's not a back catalogue of, of ex-pros kind of walking in and out of the changing room giving their advice of how Leverkusen won the league back when you know even you know even the people running the club these days are the same so Alonso's kind of the potentially the, the the person who can provide that mental uh, leg up, if you will, uh, and, and almost like teach Leverkusen how 
to believe in themselves and to, and to challenge for a league title. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if he can. My only issue is that, you know, as we talked about with that kind of striking position, um, their their squad's not as depth as deep as the the three we've already mentioned on this episode. And you know, if a Verts gets injured, uh, if a Hoffman gets injured, if a yeah, I guess a Boniface or a Frimpong get injured, there's no one there to kind of step into that role for more than two or three weeks and then that's when and that's what's happened over the last couple of seasons they've always had big injuries that have caused huge issues for them um, and we'll have to wait and see if that's what happens this season or not yeah I mean yeah Leverkusen is, is going to be the super interesting one and then of course the, there's this group um, and I, I'm going to group them Union Berlin Freiburg and Wolfsburg and maybe even Stuttgart Stefan because Stuttgart under Hoeneß, they were, what, the fourth best team in the Bundesliga over the last eight match days last season. They have done some very interesting things. Um, are, you, are, you seriously, are you seriously trying to shoehorn Stuttgart into this episode? No, I'm just wondering <laughs> what's, that, what's the group of teams that we can seriously considering perhaps challenging for like the European spots. And I think all of them are in there. But I assume we were thinking Leverkusen will finish in the top four, right? Like the way the season's yeah, been. Yeah, or, yeah, do yes. you, or do we think Union Berlin and Freiburg are going to be doing what they did last year? I mean, Union Berlin has been interesting. Their transfer season has been, you know, for lack of better terms, spectacular. Um we're going to have to maybe talk about them a bit more tomorrow on the bonus show. But if they bring someone like Bonucci home and sign Gosens, and I mean, they do this every year. They sign like an army of players, and the ones that don't work out, they just discard or sell for, with a profit. But I mean, Union Berlin were better every year since they got promoted, uh, which now has ended them playing the Champions League this year. I mean, the only thing that tops last year is the German Championship. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but are they still a top four side is I guess what I'm asking yeah I mean we, we would be foolish to kind of discount uh, Union Berlin you know um, they 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 continue to dumbfound expectations they continue to kind of prove that they're better than the sum of their parts um, you know I watched their kind of cup final against or cup final cup against Waldorf and they were really impressive again another game in which they're up against you know weaker opposition but it was a game in which we saw like an array of forward players just playing off each other very well. You know, they've obviously still got Becker, who we all thought was going to leave this summer, but hasn't. Uh, Behrens has done, I thought he was extremely useful in that game. Um, he didn't get a goal, but he set up a lot of chances. A lot of players play off him. Uh, Fofana, the young player they've picked up on strike, uh, the young striker they picked up on loan from Chelsea was also very impressive. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think they've just got a really good squad of kind of dependable players that Urs Fischer now knows that he can rely on. Um, you know, they're very good at kind of building plans so that these players don't burn out. And yeah, I mean, their squad is humongous. It's obscene. They're kind of like the Nottingham, Nottingham Forest of, of the <laughs> yes, Bundesliga, in a sense, um, except Union seem to know what they're doing, <laughs> which I'm not quite sure if Nottingham Forest do. Um, but yeah. They've got so many players. They've got, what well, I think they've maybe got five or six forwards, you know, across the th those three positions. They've got, they've, they've brought in a number of kind of central midfielders as well. Toussaint's coming from Hertha, who you could totally see kind of eventually turning it on under Urs Fischer. Um, 
And yeah, you're right, Bonucci. I could, Bonucci would be a perfect kind of Union signing. We'll talk about him again on the transfer show tomorrow. But um, I think I absolutely think Urs uh, Fisher's team will be up challenging for the top four. And, and for me, it's between them and Leverkusen really for that four spot. And I mean, if I had to put my money on it, I'd probably put it on Union over Leverkusen right now because Union have proved that they know how to you know last the distance and, and go the distance and over the course of an entire season and. They're not as dependent on individual players as as Leverkusen are. Yeah, thirty-one players in that first team squad at the moment. <laughs> You're not wrong. That is an humongous squad, and they're not finished yet, right? If they add Gozens and Bonucci, that'd be thirty-three. Yeah, and and, and <laughs> I mean, it'd be joke, but they could literally put out two starting elevens most weeks, which is just something that I think is really impressive. But you know what? They have to the way they're playing. We saw that last year. Their style of play is so taxing, and if I think if it wasn't for that World Cup break, they probably wouldn't have finished top four, right? Because they got that extra break, so they they have to find a way to play this kind of football um, without having a massive break this year. And I guess having thirty three players under contract will do it. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. So I mean. It, it, it's it's always quite hard to kind of pick individual players out for Union Berlin because they are such a wide squad and, you know, they really are better than some of their parts is the best way to describe them. Um, but, I, I, I mean, maybe they might get a little derailed by the kind of extended European calendar they'll have this summer or this season. But, yeah, if there's one thing I've learned over the last kind of four or five years in German football, it's never bet against Urs Fischer and Union Berlin. Yeah, I mean, those... Nights at the Olympia Stadion will be magical uh, in the Champions League. Um, I, I have no doubt that all these three, all three games will be sold out, seventy-five thousand. And the Olympia Stadion is a big event stadium. When that stadium is full, it is a magical place. Um, it's one of my favorite venues. I love doing the German Cup every year, and the the, the Olympia Stadion is great for that. I'm sure that Union Berlin they will fill it to the roof and beyond. Um, and it's going to be a, a really great venue for that. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it impacts their campaigns. And I guess now the question then is, so uh, Union Berlin and Leverkusen are maybe the teams that will challenge for their fourth Champions League spot. We mentioned Freiburg, Frankfurt and Wolfsburg. And then there's always a surprise team, right? Um, I already threw Stuttgart out there. Um, but I assume those teams, Freiburg, Frankfurt and Wolfsburg, will be the teams fighting for those other European spots, Stefan. Um, you know, Wolfsburg have done quite a few interesting things this, this summer as well. We already spoke about them last week. Frankfurt are in this weird state of flux because of Kolomoani. Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? Who's going to come in to replace him? Um, I actually personally think this is the summer to sell Kolomoani because you probably won't get 100 million euros for him next year. But you know, it leaves them in this weird kind of vacuum between, oh, this is not quite a finished product yet. And there's a lot of question marks around these teams. Can Freiburg repeat what they did last year, for example, right? That's a really big question too. Um, yeah, so I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, um, I, I think it's going to be really interesting. I, I kind of have quite a lot of confidence in Freiburg just because they haven't really lost any kind of huge names, um, to be honest with you. I know Flecken's obviously moved off to Brentford, um, but 
I think they've also brought in Muller there to kind of step in there, so I think that's going to be okay. Kevin Shadow obviously completed his move to um, Brentford as well, but he wasn't really a a, a, a dependable key star, if you will, uh, before he left, so it's not a huge loss for them to a large extent. Um, they've brought in Junior Adamu from RB Salzburg, who picked up a lot of goals in Austria last year. He could be an impressive player for He's them. Really good player. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think... As long as Freiburg don't lose anyone, I think they'll be absolutely fine. I think they really grew into the season. I think um, this is what Christian Strike does. He's just very good at rebuilding squads, and I think we're in the process of. They obviously have up and down seasons because they built he builds up a squad. They do very well, then they get picked apart, and then they have one or two seasons in mid mid table, and they do it all again. And I feel like they are currently, you know, riding the quest, riding the crest of the wave, if you will, or on the ascendancy. Um, so I think they'll be. I think they will be a top six side. Um, I'm not quite sure whether they'll, they'll be able to challenge for the the top four. Um, I think I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, between in my personal opinion, um, between them, Wolfsburg and Frankfurt, I think there's very little between them. Um, I kind of caught the highlights of the Frankfurt game, and you know, <laughs> I think they, they opened the scoring with a Komoani shot, which was almost like a cross, which the goalkeeper actually knocked into his own net. Um, and I thought, well, that's a good omen for this coming season that goalkeepers are throwing the ball into the back of the net for Kolomani. Um And yeah, we'll have to kind of wait and see what he does. But Frankfurt have just had so much upheaval this summer, even looking aside from Kolomani, They've got a new head coach in. Um, you know, they've got a huge amount of players that have arrived at the club. Um, and they've also lost quite a lot of key players as well. A lot of them for free, unfortunately. Kamada and Dika, you know, Sov's obviously moved on to Sevilla as well. So. It's. I think Frankfurt are going to have something of a transition season, to be honest with you. Probably the same for Wolfsburg, who, you know, I do like Nico Kovac at Wolfsburg, and I actually kind of predicted they'd finish in the top six, I think, last season, um, pushing for top four. Um, that might be a tall order for them this year, considering the players they've lost. Um, so... I think it's I think it's probably between those three clubs um to be challenging for those kind of fifth, sixth and seven roles, uh, under the likes of, you know, Union and Leverkusen. Um alongside I guess Mainz as well. Um but I think there's very little between those clubs really. Yeah, I mean I just know that one of those teams will have an off season because that's usually how it is, right? Um we don't have the same seven teams finishing the top seven in the Bundesliga every year. Um, and that that kind of makes me wonder, like, who's going to be the team that is going to come in and kind of reshuffle the deck a little bit? Um, Frankfurt is a is I have such a hard time reading them. I wrote in the remember when I when I did the DFB Pokal final, my one of my thoughts on Frankfurt was, is this the end of an era? And is this now is that transition coming? Right? Um, I I think. It's a good opportunity for them to play in the Conference League because I think it's a competition they can win, which would then give them European football next year. And, you know, then you can have the... It wouldn't be the end of the world if you finish somewhere in the middle of the pack in the Bundesliga. Um, Mainz is an odd one for me too. Like, I think they overperformed a little bit last year and they are that typical ninth-place team. And that makes you wonder, like, what do you see from... Before we wrap this up, because I think there is going to be a surprise team in the, in the top nine, and there's going to probably be a surprise team in the bottom nine, uh, because that is the way, right? There's always one team that all of a sudden plays a really crappy season and finds themselves in a place where they where they don't want to be. But 
I guess that list of teams really only can include Gladbach, Hoffenheim, Stuttgart. I can't see any of the other teams playing a season where you can say, oh, wow, I can't believe they finished sixth or seventh. Hmm. Yeah, maybe a Hoffenheim, but yeah, it's it's a, it's a tough order. And yeah, I mean, I, I guess we'll talk a bit more about this in terms of, you know, the, in the second show, which we do later in the week. But I think we are kind of beginning to see, and we've seen over the last kind of couple of years, and certainly saw last year where, you know, there's, there is, there's, there are kind of there is almost like an established kind of top six, seven or eight clubs that are beginning to kind of cement themselves at the top of the table. Um, we've seen that with kind of Frankfurt getting their act together, Freiburg are doing well, Union Berlin have kind of established themselves really as a top six side. And once you consider the fact that Leipzig, Dortmund, and Bayern are always going to be in the top four, then that doesn't leave a lot of room to kind of wiggle around in, does it? Um, so, I mean, I guess you could argue that the reason that there's not really any standout minnows who could overperform is because there's already two in Union Berlin and Freiburg, you know? Yeah, And true. Um, I mean, Union Berlin are probably the biggest, the most overachieving club in European football at the moment, this moment in time, if you consider their, where they've come from, their finances, their wage bill. Freiburg as well continues to kind of perform miracles. So it doesn't really bum me out a lot that maybe the top half and the bottom half of the league this season won't look that different, if that makes sense. Like, I mean, the order of the clubs will look different, obviously, but aside from maybe Gladbach, you know, Stuttgart, then I'm not sure there's going to be a huge change um, between the top nine and the bottom nine, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I know one team will surprise us. It's the way, but... Ah, I guess, you know, you make a really good point. And I just looked this up on uh, Transfermarkt just out of curiosity. And in terms of market values, um, the only team that is kind of outside of the top nine, as we predicted it, is Freiburg. And the only team that isn't in the top nine, as we predicted, is Gladbach. Um, if you're a betting man, you know, <laughs> the market values do play quite a big role. Although I have to, uh, I have to add that although Freiburg's squad value is lower than Gladbach's, the average value of a Freiburg player is higher than the average value of a Gladbach player. So, I don't know. Um, we'll see, I guess. But I think this pretty much wraps it up, Stefan. Um, that's a longer episode. We haven't given our predictions <laughs> yet. Well, oh God, I hate predictions. Can we just skip them? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, people want to know. Let's do a oh, top four. It. I, and thought, I hope you would it. forget. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we can do them now or we can do them on the Friday show. But now that people have heard... Uh, do we have, have to, to say who's going to win the title? Yes, of course we do. Oh, man. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, I'd do it. Okay, so in fourth place, I'm going to stick with Union Berlin. Uh, third place, I'm going to stick with Leipzig. Second place, I'm going to stick with Dortmund. And first place, I'm going to stick with Bayern. So I'm not seeing any changes whatsoever. Um, I think it's going to be very tight. I think there's every chance that Dortmund could win this uh, league this year. I think there's every chance that Bayern could implode this year. Um, but I can't look beyond Bayern at this moment in time just because of... Um, you know, one game and a tricky summer. I think they've got they've got every capacity to overcome that. Okay, so you you're pretty much mirroring my prediction, but because I'm a contrarian, I'm just gonna say something different with the caveat that I don't necessarily believe it. <laughs> there's a 
there's a podcast that I listen to and they're, they're one of the guys when they do predictions, he's like, well, you just predicted that. Even though I agree with your prediction, I'm not going to make it because I need to predict something different. Um, I do think that Bayern will win the title, but I'm actually going to say that Dortmund will do it this year. They're going to end it. Um, yes, it has to happen simply because you already took my pick away. I think that, and I think the top... I think there might be actually a way where Leipzig finished second ahead of Bayern. Bayern third after two coaching changes and lots of drama. Um, and then fourth, I think, is going to be Leverkusen with Union Berlin finishing just outside in fifth place. But Union Berlin will still be in it because they dropped down into Europa League and then win, win the Europa League. There, there you have it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. There you have it. Um, <laughs> subscribers to the show can, of course, give us their predictions and leave comments on the Substack. Uh, and you guys can chat amongst yourselves. Let us know what you think of our predictions. Um, and yeah, as always, you know, I guess, you know, uh, if you don't subscribe to the show, we still appreciate you listening and offering your support that way. But if you want some extra content, always do consider taking a subscription out uh, and you get our newsletters and extra shows as well. And we do also, whenever there is, we, there is a set schedule, right? Um, one newsletter, from, one from you, one from me, uh, the, the two extra podcasts. But we do also, when something big happens, cover that as well. Uh, a good example is Harry Kane and the DFL Super Cup, which was add bonus content. So we do do that as well. Um, but yes, we'll be back with more content this week. As always, this show is brought to you by Bad Online, And then we'll be back with more content this week. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.